You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear your word now. Lord, the privilege we have to not only have a copy of it, but for all of us to have copies and several copies. And Lord, just the awesome truths now that we're about to look at and, and see and Jesus, just your grace and your mercy in the story is just so awesome. And Lord, I just pray that we would see it, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, that you'd fill us with your spirit so that we can understand it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. It wasn't too long ago in our country that you could go to a city and you could see two different drinking fountains, um, one with the label black and one with the label white over it. And it's just a truly despicable um, reminder of the evil that dwells within the human heart. And sadly, racism and other wickedness like that is still prevalent today. And it's been, been like that since sin entered into our world. But what makes the story today so interesting to me is, is that we see Jesus step over some very clear racial boundaries to have a conversation with a woman of Samaria. And for you to understand the significance of this, in Jesus' day, the Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, they despised them. Um, the reason for this is because they were a racially mixed group of people um, who descended from the intermarrying of Jews and Gentiles around 722 B.C. And they had their own version of the Pentateuch. They had their own religion with their own temple. And so the Jews saw the Samaritans um, as children of the enemies, as racial half-breeds, and as religious heretics. Okay, so there was an extreme hatred to the point where some very, very strict Jews would actually not even go through Samaria. They would travel around Samaria. Um, Just didn't even want to be near them, didn't want to get contaminated by them. Um, But Jesus here completely transcends all of those human taboos to have this conversation with this woman. And in our story, we're going to learn that Jesus isn't just the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of the world. And even though the Jews of his day hated the Samaritans, he loved them. And and I just love that. In our last sermon, we saw him interacting with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man of power, a man of authority, a man of religion and theology. And and this week, it's the complete opposite. It's a woman who's a social outcast, um, looked down upon, full of shame and guilt, an adulterer. Yet both of them need Jesus. And all of us sitting here today, wherever you fit on that spectrum in society, you need Jesus. And what we're going to see today is that he's pursuing us. He's pursuing people like us that need him. And what's so awesome about this story, again, is that it shows that the gospel is good news to all people. Um, The gospel transcends race. It transcends politics. It transcends socioeconomic status. It transcends all the normal boundaries that we would normally set um, and it's the good news for all people. And, um, and one day we're going we're gonna to gather together. And this is so cool to think about. One day we're going to gather together with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and worship him together. And I got a little glimpse of that when I was in Israel a few years ago. We were at the, at the, the place where we believe Jesus rose from the dead, the garden tomb. And we started singing Amazing Grace. And all around, groups from all over the world in all different languages started singing with us. And man, the, the chills that just ran down my spine as I sang that. And we all praise Jesus in all these different languages. And it's just a glimpse of what we're going to see one day in heaven. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 4. 
Um, between that text, the text today, and the last text we were in, um, to give you a little background, the Jews came to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and they're like, hey, um, Jesus is starting to gather a crowd. Like, he's starting to get really popular. People are starting to go to him, and it's almost like he's baptizing more than you. And, and to a normal human, I mean, like, John, that would be tough, right? But we see an awesome display of humility, and he says in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Such a great reminder that Jesus, it's him alone who's worthy of glory and praise and honor. And, and John is a beautiful illustration of that. But Jesus starts to recognize things are starting to heat up. Things are starting to get a little bit tense. The Jews are starting to notice he's getting more popular. And so he's like, I've got to get out of here. I'm going to head to Galilee. And it's not because he was afraid. Um, he, he says, nobody takes my life. Okay, I give it of my own accord. He wasn't afraid, but he wasn't. It wasn't quite that time yet. So he's like, we're going to head off to Galilee. And so we'll pick up in verse 1 of John chapter 4. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And so this is an introduction to the scene. Now, I, I want you, as we go through this, we're going to read, and then we're going to talk. We're going to read a little bit, then we're going to talk a little bit. And I want you to picture it, okay? I want you to be there. This is a story, and John's setting the scene. So he leaves Judea. He's going to Samaria. We think this was about um, a 30 to 40 mile journey, possibly, depending on where he was. And he's doing it on foot, remember. And it, and it says he's weary. Now, I love that because it's a glimpse of his humanity, that Jesus was fully man. And, and, and we don't quite understand how is he fully man and fully God, but he's tired from this journey. And he sits at this well. Okay, so the scene is set. It's a hot day. It's about noon. The six hours about noon. It's the middle of the day. Jesus is tired. They just walked this long journey and he takes a break at this well. And then we pick up in verse seven. It says this, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, this is important to understand. You don't draw water. You didn't draw water that day at noon. OK, you just didn't. It was the heat of the day and you didn't do it alone. Okay, so today, um, a lot of moms will, you know, get their yoga pants and take their kids to the school, and then they'll talk and have their coffee or whatever. Back then they did that, but they did it at the well. So in the morning or at night, they'd go to the well, and they'd have their chat and talk and all that. So you didn't do it alone, but this woman is alone, and it's in the heat of the day. And so you've got to say, well, what's going on here? We're going to figure that out. It says, Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse 8, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she's just appalled by this, right? Like, what are you doing? A Jew, also a man. Okay, so men didn't talk to women in public, especially rabbis. Um, which is really sad, but they, they wouldn't even talk to them. Sometimes even their own members of their own family, they wouldn't talk to them in public. Um, so not only is he a man addressing a woman in public, um, he's also a Jew addressing a Samaritan. So he's crossing every boundary, okay? And she's just like shocked by it. Like, what? like she probably saw him there and didn't, you know, didn't think he was going to talk to her at all. And he's like, hey, can you grab me a drink? 
And she's just shocked. And not only that, John gives us a little uh, glimpse into the culture. He says the Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. Um, but if you look at the Greek, that actually can be translated. They don't even use the same utensils. Okay, so, so you don't even use the bucket that I use to get the water. You, Jews don't even, we don't share utensils. Okay, <laughs> I know that. And, and so she's just shocked by this. Okay, and I, and I just love this. Um, in verse 10, then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. I love that because, I mean, we know who he is, right? Like we, we read John 1 where he's, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So this is God in the flesh, and he's like, If you, if you knew who was asking you a drink, you'd be asking for a drink from me. I just love that. In verse 11, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Doesn't that remind you of last week when, when uh, Nicodemus was like, born again? What do you mean born again? Right? Like, people are always just like questioned by, by Jesus and his sayings. She's like, you don't even have anything to, to grab the water. How are you going to do that? In verse 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob? Isn't that kind of a funny question? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I created him, but sure, you know, continue your question. Um, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Awesome. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. I mean, she's exhausted of just coming here every single day, coming here alone, coming here in the heat of the day. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. Now, this is really important to understand. We're going to pause there and talk for a little bit. Um, Jesus almost like shifts the conversation and says, go get your husband. And, and if you look at how she responds, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that thou said truly. So here we get a glimpse of why she's in the middle of the day, why she's getting water all alone in the heat of the day. Okay, so Jesus, um, understanding that she's not quite getting it, says, why don't you go grab your husband? And it almost, you're like, well, why, why did he just bring that up randomly? What he's doing is he's showing her that she is thirsty and that she does need water that he has to offer. He says, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. You know, isn't that funny how um, she kind of used truth to kind of be a little bit deceitful? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. The guy you're with right now isn't your husband, but you've had five husbands. And so she's a little bit shocked by this. But here's the thing. In that culture, that was such, such a horrible thing for them that she couldn't even be with the other woman going to the well. So that's why I said Nicodemus, who's a man of character, a man of authority, a man of ruling last week. Now we've got this woman who's a social outcast, full of shame and guilt. If they did that back then, she would have wore a scarlet letter A on her clothing. I mean, that, that's what, what's going on here. And she's going in the heat of the day, exhausted, full of shame and guilt, in the middle of the day, all by herself, to get water. And now this guy's offering her living water. And she's not getting it. And so Jesus points to something. And so what I want to do here is I just want to pause. And, and I want to give our first point of application. And it's simply this. Jesus can satisfy your longings. 
Jesus can satisfy your longings. Notice in verse 13, he says, whoever drinks of this water, this physical water that you're, you're trying to grab, you're going to thirst again. Now, isn't that true of any earthly pleasure that you can imagine? I mean, think of it. Money, material goods, relationships, sex, food, entertainment. All of that done in a God-ordained way is not necessarily bad, but none of it will satisfy completely. You're always going to want to go back. You're always going to have to thirst again in all of those categories. What Jesus is saying is this water that you keep coming back every single day to get, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. You're going to thirst again. And then he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst. Never thirst. What he's saying is he's, he can give you a joy and a satisfaction that nothing in this life can match. You know, this is why I hate it when, when Christianity in certain groups becomes this legalistic religion where we're trying to earn favor with God. It's not that at all. It's that we could never earn favor with God, but that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And all who recognize their need and go to him and ask him to save us will be saved and reconciled to God. And we have this, this water, this living water that satisfies us, that nothing on this earth could do for us, only Jesus could do. And, and so Jesus is like, hey, that water, you're going to thirst again, but this water, this water is going to be a spring of everlasting joy and contentment in your heart, and you'll never thirst again. I love that. I love that reality that when we come to Jesus, we come and we get joy and satisfaction that nothing on this earth can bring. And sometimes people ask me, why are you a preacher? I said, what? there's nothing else I would rather be, man. The joy of serving Jesus and opening his word and trying to explain it to people. I mean, it's incredible. I just love getting in his word like this and, and because there is joy. There is joy in serving Jesus. And it's not that he's going to give us material goods. It's that even without the material goods, there's joy. It's not that he's going to always give us health. Many of us have been um, hurt with a lot of health issues in our day, but it's, it's not about that. It's about spiritual health. And it's about that we can take, take everything away from me. Take everything. Take my wife. Take my car. Take my money. Take my career. Take all of it away. And give me Jesus. I'll never thirst again. Never thirst again. That's what he's offering to this woman. And she, she's not quite understanding it. Now, what you might be thinking today, well, I'm a Christian, but man, I don't know if that's true for me. And why is it that I see Christians that sometimes are thirsting are not content well there's two reasons for that one either they're not actually christians they've never actually believed they, they think they believe and and they think that they, they they're a christian but they've never actually met jesus and, and experienced that transformation or two they met jesus they experienced salvation they they realized they're a sinner they trusted him for salvation but then time went by and they started going to other wells they started going to other places for satisfaction they forgot about the spring that Jesus gives, the joy that Jesus gives. In Jeremiah 2.13, it's such a great verse. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Saying there's two things wrong with my people. Not only have they forsaken me, just a fountain, just bubbling over with living water. And they've gone over here with these broken water containers, trying to put water in it. It's just pouring out the bottom. And they're continually thirsty. Isn't that the case for a lot of Christians today? 
They meet Jesus, they experience the joy, but their eyes get off him somewhere along the line and they go to other places for satisfaction and they're thirsty. But don't forget that Jesus says, you'll never thirst again. I mean, this is a well that you can go to again and again and again, and it's always there, and it'll always satisfy. It's just a beautiful reminder. Now, at first glance, you may be asking, again, I asked this earlier, but why does Jesus randomly bring up her husband? When you look at conversations with Jesus, um, it's, 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 it's really fun to just watch him work because you know he's God you know, from us, but you know, she doesn't know. And he's just like, well, why are you asking about my husband? It's kind of a random interjection, but I, again, I believe he's pointing to the broken well in her life. Okay, you're, you're not getting it. I've got living water, but you're not getting it. So why don't you go get your husband? What is he doing? He's pointing to the fact that the place she goes to satisfy her thirst over and over and over again, it's not working. A question for you to consider today, if Jesus were offering you living water and you weren't getting it, what broken well in your life would he point to to make you realize your need? What is it that you go to again and again and again to try to quench your thirst only to be left unsatisfied? That's what, that's what he wants us to consider today. That's what he wanted her to realize. You've had five husbands. And you're looking for identity. You're looking for approval. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for joy. And it's not working there. Again, he's not condemning her. Right? Because in John 3, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Right? So what is he doing? He's pointing her to her need. And so I want you to consider in your life, what do you go to over and over and over again? Is it your job, your relationships, a sinful habit that you just keep going back to and you're always left unsatisfied? Stop going there. Stop going there. Jesus has living water that will satisfy you. You'll never thirst again. That's what he's saying here. Let's continue reading in our story in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Good observation, right? I've never met this guy ever, and he knows about my past, like very intimate details about my past. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So it's almost like now I could be kind of pressing this into the text, but I feel like it's there. It's almost like she's like, okay, we're getting a little too personal here. Let's, let's talk theology, right? Like you're getting into our personal space, right? It's like when the pastor starts to meddle a little bit and you're like, okay, it's like, oh man, you know a little too much. How do you know that? And it's like, I don't know it. Okay. It's just, I'm just preaching the word. Okay. Um, but you're like in your, your personal space. It's like, this is real. And she's like, let's talk theology. Which mountain should we worship in? Now, this is a, a debate that Samaritans and Jews would have um, all the time. Like, should we worship in Mount Gerizim or should we worship in Jerusalem? And they'd go back and forth on, on the right one and they'd argue back and forth. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh, we're in verse 21, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He basically calls her an agnostic there. Like, you, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Now, this is important because I just want to pause here really quick. In our culture today, we are living in a culture where God is at the top of the mountain and whatever religion you choose is just a path up the mountain. And as long as you get there, you'll get there. But that's not what the scriptures teach. And the loving thing for us to do is to say, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. Not all religions are the same. 
Every other religion, God is at the top of the mountain. You've got to make your way up the mountain. Christianity, God is at the top of the mountain. We're at the bottom of the mountain dead. He comes down. He breathes life into us. He picks us up and he brings us up the mountain. He sent Jesus to die for us because we could never make it up the mountain. Jesus, he he died for us to bring us to God. And and, and it's the only way. And so we're labeled narrow-minded and we're we're labeled bigots and we're labeled different things for saying Jesus is the only way. But it's really the only truly loving thing to do. And so he's pretty clear. Well, actually, the Jews, salvation is from the Jews. We should remember that as Gentiles. We're the branches grafted in. Let's be thankful. Okay, let's not forget. Then we come to verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saying unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Okay, so let's, let's back up, okay? I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, good observation, okay? So let's not talk about my past. Let's talk about religion. Which mountain should we worship in? And, and he's like, okay, you want to go there? We'll go there. Well, you, really the Jews is the right one, okay? But the hour is coming and now is where you won't worship in any mountain. Okay, and what he's foretelling is the fact that Jerusalem is going to be overtaken completely. Um, That's not even going to be a site anymore where you go worship. And that he, by his death on the cross, is giving access to God through him now. And when he says spirit and in truth, he's saying you've got to be born of the spirit. That's last week. You can't worship God unless you're alive in the spirit. Your spirit is dead before he saves you. And through truth, he's saying through me and what I teach and what I've done. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's through Christ that only true worship takes place. And so it's not about a mountain anymore. When Jesus dies on the cross, which we'll get there, he's on the cross. If you remember, um, the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom, giving access into the holy of holies. See, all of us who recognize our sin, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness and we ask him for forgiveness, ask him to save us, he gives us his righteousness, he cleanses our sin with his blood, and now the Bible says we can come boldly into the throne room of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. The hour is, it's now here a little bit because I'm here, but it's coming where you're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so, so he's like, you want to go to worship and religion? We'll talk. Let me help you with that. And he answers her question, and then she's like, okay, I see what you're saying. Well, you know, the Messiah's coming, and, and when he comes, he'll straighten all this out. And then it's almost like Jesus looks at the chessboard. He's like, I am he. Checkmate. <laughs> right? I mean, can you imagine the joy, the, 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 the shock? The, I mean, she already had an idea that something, this guy knows something. And, and then he gives this great answer. And she's like, well, Messiah, when he comes, he'll straighten us all out. And then he's just like, I am he. I am the Messiah. I mean, the shock that must have overwhelmed her there. And, and then before we move on, I want to pause and give one more application. Um, not only can Jesus satisfy your longings, Jesus can unlock your worship. Can unlock your worship. You know, worship is a very interesting thing. When we think of worship, we think of what we're doing right now. We gather and we sing. But worship is really anything that we spend time um, that we think is worthy or worthful of our worship, of our praise, of our, of our joy. We can worship at the TV. We can worship in a lot of places. And I love what one person said. He said, you worship your way into sin and you have to worship your way out of sin. Worship is very all-encompassing. 
And anything we put before God in our lives is, is an idol. Anything that we go to for ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, is an idol. And, and what I love about this is that there's a connection with the last point, is that we worship what satisfies our longings. We worship what we think will satisfy. See, she was worshiping um, sexual pleasure or approval from men or identity, and, and she kept going from one man to the next and never getting satisfied. She was having a worship problem. And Jesus says, by my death on the cross, I'm going to bring you to the very presence of God and I'm going to unlock your worship so that you can worship in spirit and in truth. So I want you to consider today, what have you been worshiping? We'll keep reading. In verse 27, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? So the, the disciples, you know, they were off getting food. Right? So he just drops the bomb on her, right? I'm the Messiah. Mic drop, right? And, and then his disciples show up with the food and they're like, why is he talking to a girl? And, and not only is he talking to a woman, she's a woman of Samaria. Like, what, what is he doing? But they're like, eh, let's not ask, right? So it's just this awkward situation where the woman's probably just like shocked, right? Jaw, jaw down. And the disciples come back with the food and they're like, uh, what's he doing? Why is he talking to her? Right? And, and then we keep reading in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now we see here, this is kind of a transition in between scenes, right? And so, so he's talking to the woman. They come back with the food. She's shocked. She leaves her water pot. She goes into the city, um, which really brings us to our next point. Jesus can empower your service. Think about this. This woman went from full of guilt and shame, hiding in isolation her whole life, avoiding the public, all alone, completely guilty, social outcast, to emboldened evangelist. Going into the city, proclaiming that she has met the Christ. I mean, someone who used to hide, someone who used to have her eyes on the ground, someone who used to go get water in the middle of the day is now so full of joy and excitement that she's going into the city proclaiming that she has met the Christ. And that's what Jesus can do in a life. He can absolutely transform you to where you might be in guilt and shame and doubt and isolation and, and a social outcast and you go to just so overwhelming and excited with joy to tell others about Jesus. That's what happened in my life. That's what happened in so many people's lives. He can, he can empower your service to be a witness for Him. And then he says, okay, she's off getting her water pot. She's off telling all those people, right? She left her water pot. She's off doing that. And he's like, okay, let's use this as a teaching moment for my disciples, right? And so we'll keep reading. In verse uh, 32, or verse 31, In the meantime, um, while his disciples prayed, him saying, Master, eat. So this woman takes off. They're kind of just like, well, we don't know what that's all about, but here's some food. We got you some food. <laughs> But he said to them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So he's like, did he get a sandwich like when we weren't looking or something? How, what do you mean? Like, I thought we were sent to get the food. When, when did you eat, right? And he says this in verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What sustained Jesus was doing the Father's will. He's like, I'm not really interested in that right now. I've got something else that's way more important. Verse 35, Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. 
And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another man reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So what he's saying is he's going to use this as a teaching opportunity. Now, you've got to use your imagination again a little bit here. Um, sanctified imagination, right? Don't add things that aren't there. But if you remember, she goes and she tells the city, right? She's telling the city, like, probably just like, like what is wrong with this lady, right? Like, she, she's always hiding. Now she's just yelling about some Messiah, okay? And, and the scriptures tell us that they're starting to come out to, to check him out. Like, we got to see this, right? This guy knows everything she's ever done. Well, let's go... See it, and in the meantime, he's teaching his disciples. And, and then he says in verse 35, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Now again, this is a little bit of imagination, but when I read this, I think, okay, this crowd is starting to come. Okay, and back then they wore white, which is kind of cool too, but this is clearly agriculture, what he's referring to. He's teaching them about evangelism and sharing the gospel. And then he says, lift up your eyes. And what do you think they saw when they lifted up their eyes? Just a crowd of mob of people coming out to see him, right? And what he's saying is, you're about to reap where you didn't sow. And that's how evangelism takes place. When we share our faith, some of us, we get to share the gospel with someone, and we don't ever see it come to fruition. And then someone else comes along, and they share the gospel, and and they they reap what they didn't sow. And that's how evangelism is, is. And so we are not responsible for the results. We just share the good news, just like this woman. And Jesus is inviting them into it. Which, through his word, he's inviting you into it today. He's inviting you to lift up your eyes. You know, if you're a Christian today, if you've tasted that living water, lift up your eyes this week. Man, there's people all around us that are broken and hurting. And, and they're going to these broken wells and they're trying to get, get satisfaction and they're not. And they're coming up empty and they're, they're, they're discouraged and they're full of guilt and shame and, and they don't know what's wrong. And so they try to mask it with, with different things and, and they're broken. And so lift up your eyes. Show them where to find water. You may be the instrument that God wants to use to bring them to the well. Lift up your eyes this week. We have found water. I love what it's been said for so long in Christianity. We're just one beggar showing another beggar where he can find bread. That's the privilege we have. And Jesus can empower that service like he did in this woman. So as we kind of consider all of this, well, let's look at the result of all of this. In verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Now remember, that's kind of a theme all throughout John. They believed, some believed, some didn't believe. And in the end of the book, he says, I wrote this so that you would believe that he's the Christ and that by believing you'd have life in his name. So he's pointing that out. He's drawing it to a central theme again for the saying of the woman. They believe because of the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So there was a part where she told and they believed because of that. But then verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. I love that because, again, you share the gospel and some are going to believe. Um, but then you bring people and you show them the word and more are going to believe. In verse 41, or 42, last verse we'll read, And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. I love that. 
Like I said in the beginning, we, we learn in this story that he's not just the savior of the Jews. He's the savior of the world. As we kind of consider this whole story, I want you to think about this from the disciples' perspective as we wrap it up. We're, we're coming to a close now, all right? We wrap this all up. Think about how confusing this was for the disciples, like start to finish, right? Okay, we're going to go, go to Galilee, and, and, he, and he almost there's like an emphasis in the beginning that says he must needs go through Samaria. So it's like, okay, wh- why do you got to go to Samaria? What, what's going on, Jesus? Um, okay, and then why are you in such a hurry to get there by noon? You know, you wonder, like he, he knew, right? So he's like, we got to go through Samaria and we got to go now. And they're probably just like, okay, well, let's go. He's going. All right. And then he goes to a certain well. And you got to know that Jesus is very like meticulous. We got to go to this well. And they're just like, follow him. Okay. Well, why do you got to go to this well? And, and then he takes a break and he sends them into the city to get food. Jesus, well, what are you doing? Right. And then they come back with the food and he's talking to this woman. Like he crossed every social taboo at the time to ask a woman for a drink. And the disciples are just like, what is going on? Like, he had to go to Samaria, he had to go to this well, he's got to take a break because he's tired, and so we go get food, now he's talking to this woman, why? Because he's the savior of the world. That's why. And that's what we learned today, and that's what they learned, that he had an appointment that day that he couldn't miss. He knew that a certain woman, right around noon, would be at a well, a woman that was broken, a woman that was thirsty, a woman that was full of guilt and shame. And he knew that he was going to be right there at that right time to give her living water and to transform her life. And listen, I don't know if you come here every week out of habit or if you just decided to show up today because someone invited you. But can I tell you, Jesus knew that you would be here today. He knew that you would be here today. And just like he's offered living water to her through his word today, he's offering living water to you. And if you're here today and you're broken and you're full of guilt and shame and you've, you've gone to all these broken wells and never been satisfied, can I tell you, please, take of the water. Take of the living water. Believe on Jesus to save you from your sins and to reconcile you to God. That's what we see in the story. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time, but you've been going to these other earthly pleasures to satisfy. And can I tell you, that's never going to satisfy. That's never going to satisfy. Only Jesus can bring lasting satisfaction and he offers a radically different type of water. Living water. Water that becomes a fresh spring of eternal joy within you. So right now, through his word again, he's offering, just like he offered this woman, living water to all. And as we wrap this all up, is my challenge. Come to Jesus, the Savior of the world, and never thirst again.